NFL Week 5 is here, and so are we to break down the biggest line moves across the sharpest books that take the biggest bets. I'm your host, Matt Landis, joined by Fabian Summer, a.k.a. Suma, alongside our producer, Jacob. And Suma, we're now four weeks into the season. That used to be the quarter poll, but now with 17 games, not quite that nice round milestone. At the same time, we're a month in, and I'd love to know from your standpoint as a pro better. What are some of your biggest takeaways so far this season when it comes to market movement between us recording this show on Wednesdays and the games kicking off on Sundays? Yeah, so I think in general, we have seen like teams like the Eagles and Jacksonville Jaguars, they consistently draw money or have drawn money. Uh, We also had some general action on the Lions early on um, and on on the overs for the Lions uh, until last week against the Seahawks. Uh, that game, I think it opened for 50, then got bet down to 48 before some over money came back and then that game was flying into the 90s, which was pretty crazy. Overall, it's been a very wild season for totals. Um, and it's interesting to see how the market handles totals because we have like record lows in terms of average uh, total scores for each game and average uh, median scores for the NFL per week and stuff. We had some kind of a bounce back last week with, I think, averaging 50 points per single uh, NFL matchup, also in part because of the Lions-Seahawks game. But um, yeah, NFL offenses had some red zone struggles, especially inside the 10-yard line, which had a very big impact on scoring, passing efficiencies down a little bit. Um, the run game is not really that much improved in terms of efficiency, but it's consistent and it's getting closer towards pass efficiency. So, yeah, probably something that defenses are doing different, but also I think offensive line play has not been very good so far this season. And, yeah, you see that within the totals, we had very high totals when, when the season started because um, the prior from, from a market point of view was still very high, like in the, I don't know, 47 ish range uh, as, as an average uh, basic um, anchor for, for NFL totals. And then we had these first three weeks with so many low uh, game scores and then the market quietly, slightly adjusted. And then we had the spike week last week. And now it's very fascinating to see how the market will um, counter the, let's say, weekly changes in NFL scoring. Yeah, I got to think it's a matter of time until the crazy percentage of games coming into under starts to regress toward the mean. We are seeing some fairly low totals across the board this week. But Suma, I want to get to a side right now because I just saw my odd screen light up from left to right on a game featuring the Chargers and the Browns. I was going to ask you about this one, sticking on that minus three for the Chargers as long as it had the plus threes for Cleveland started to get expensive in recent hours. But now as we record this early afternoon Pacific time for me on Wednesday, this one's down to pretty much a flat two and a half across the board. Chris and Bookmaker down to Chargers minus two. So somebody just pounded the Browns. And on one hand, I'm a bit relieved because I did get my plus three ticket in. And I was wondering what I was missing 
I guess knowing that this line might be correct now with the Chargers as a shorter favorite, what do you think was behind this move on Cleveland down to plus two? And what do you think took so long for it to last a few days at that firm three? Um, I'm just checking my mobile right now, and it looks like Keenan Allen will not practice today. He's day-to-day. Miles Garrett was back in practice today. Jadavion Clowney was not. And... If you asked me this morning, I would have responded that Miles Garrett, Jadavion Clowney, and Keenan Allen, all these three guys, will decide where the market is going to move. Because all three guys are like in the 50-50 range in terms of whether they're going to be available this week, and all three have some market impact. Uh, Miles Garrett, probably the the um, the, the highest impact, um, then Keenan Allen, then uh, Jadavion Clowney. And we saw last week that the Falcons were completely dominating the Browns at the line of scrimmage. Like they, they were able to move the ball at will in the second half. There was no pushback from the Browns defensive line. So you really want to have at least Miles Garrett back this week against the Chargers. And on the other side, this Chargers passing attack is really, really slow and is highly dependable on, on sharp route runners right now. And that's where you also want uh, Keen Allen back for them so these are the three injuries and with the market coming down to two and a half it could be some guys just simply grabbing all the um, remaining plus three minus 120s with the browns or there's also some more information leaking regarding the availability of miles garrett and potentially keen allen Sounds good. Well, one of the benefits of doing this show when we do on Wednesday is we're starting to get the first legitimate injury reports of the week so we can factor in some market activity to the content of Between the Lines. And I'll just note that if anybody was debating betting Cleveland plus three and that ship has now sailed, the Browns in the plus two, plus two and a half range could be one of the more appealing teaser candidates of the week. So maybe I'll revisit that with Hitman when we record the Props and Hops flagship episode this Friday. But Zuma, sticking to the regular programming here on Between the Lines, back to not quite the top of the board, but near it. The top game on the board that has seen some interesting movement throughout the course of the week, the Seahawks at the Saints. When we look at the side, this one opened New Orleans minus five and a half, ticked up to six, has since ticked back down to the original five and a half. And it seems like there's a bit of a a push-pull effect taking place in the market right now. When you look at this game, what do you make of the Saints perhaps getting a bit healthier? And what do you make of Geno Smith for the Seahawks maybe actually being good at quarterback in 2022? Yeah, I think this is what it comes down to from a market perspective, in my opinion. It's very hard to really grasp what the Saints are right now. Uh, we don't know whether it's going to be James Winston whether, uh, or, or whether it's going to be Andy Dalton. Is Michael Thomas back? We don't know. Is Jarvis Landry at 100%? Uh, are they potentially getting one or two offensive linemen back like Andrew Speed, for instance? So it's, it's really some uncertainty with the Saints. And with the Seahawks, you mentioned it, their offense is looking pretty good. And I would say it's a question of whether they are going to run out of gas soon or whether there's really some signal of the, of the Seahawks offense playing above expectation and whether that's got, um, consistent or not. I think the initial move to six that got bet down tells me right now that there is market resistance at, at the six. So some bettors are willing to take the Seahawks at six blindly. 
the Seahawks also have like no really uh, in injury impact th this week. Um, they might get one or two players back on defense, but I don't think it really matters because their defense is completely atrocious. So we are really just looking at some injuries for the Saints. But even with potentially Michael Thomas coming back, I don't know whether he's going to be 100% if he comes back uh, or whether it's Jimmy Winston, I I'm really having a hard time seeing this number getting past the six. So if we get good news on some Saints players, I can see some people uh, betting the Saints because going in, going uh, into week one, I think there was a bigger split between those two teams from a rating perspective. The Saints have looked really atrocious. The Seahawks have looked really, really good. So this is really a question of whether it's going to be an overreaction towards the Saints, uh, towards the, the Seahawks playing much better than anticipated or not. But I really think that six right now looks like a decent market buy price for the for the Seahawks. There's been a lot of talk this week about Geno Smith and just how good his numbers looked against Detroit this past <laughs> Sunday. I know that Seattle has had the benefit of taking on some weak opposition in recent weeks, trying the Falcons prior to that Saints, uh, excuse me, the Falcons prior to that Lions matchup. And Suma, with the numbers that Geno Smith is posting, how much stock do you put into some of these stats that might portray him as a top five quarterback in the league so far this season versus everything we had seen from Geno Smith his entire career prior to 2022? Yeah, first of all, I, I don't think that um, he is a top five quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. But the more data we get, I would not rule out that this is a situation like Ryan Tannehill in 2019, where he's a seasoned veteran uh, who has never been really bad, but has been playing in a, let's say, bad supporting cast or in bad offenses before. Geno Smith didn't really ha have any significant NFL action for, for a few uh, years now. He just was the, the backup for Russell Wilson and played, I think, like four games or something last year. But he's in this league for 10 years, so we have information that teams value him as a backup. Otherwise, he would not be in the league anymore and he would have retired like Blake Balls today or something. Um, and furthermore, I think... It's entirely possible that the Seahawks have established a good functioning offensive system that can work when the circumstances are good. So we have seen the Seahawks offensive line getting completely dominated by the 49ers in week two, and they didn't score a single offensive point. So I think there is the scenario, and I want to uh, draw the comparison to Ryan Tannehill again, that Geno Smith is a, let's say, solid, decent quarterback who can execute a decent system. They're also using tons of play action, the same that Ryan Tannehill did uh, under uh, Arthur Smith. They have some playmakers like Adrian Brown and um, Corey Davis back then. So I think there is the potential that this is just a offense that is going to play well on a top 10 level if everything is right. And then the question is, Will everything be right for them against a Saints defense that has not looked as sharp as last year? Fitting to hear you make the Ryan Tannehill comparison because the next game we can touch on involves Tannehill and his Tennessee Titans traveling to Washington. Interesting movement on the side in this one. It's been coming on and off the three. Tennessee was two and a half, got bumped up to minus three, currently back down to minus two and a half. And I've got to think that 
at two and a half, if anybody wants the Titans, this is where there's perhaps some value on their side. Or if somebody wants to tease the underdog, a two and a half point dog crossing up through the three and seven could possibly have some appeal for those who can stomach any exposure on Washington this week. But I I would advise a word of caution against teasing Washington right now, because if this goes back up to plus three, having a three point underdog in one game is better than teasing that underdog up by six points and needing a second leg to come through and a teaser as well. So something for betters to consider, maybe pumping the brakes on any Washington teasers as if we need to tell anybody to pump the brakes on backing the commanders in their current form. Sumo with this one bouncing on and off the two and a half and the three so far this week. Where do you see this line settling out? I think that the the initial move at Circa going off the three towards two and a half and the move that Chris had early, like touching the the three a little bit and then immediately bouncing back to the two and a half, that tells me that for as bad as the Commanders looked in recent weeks, and they looked really, 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 really bad, betters are still saying this cannot be a three at home against the Titans. The Titans will be without Traylon Burks. Uh, he has a turf toe. Kyle Phillips might be back. So we are looking at a receiving core of um, probably Robert Woods, Kyle Phillips, and some action from Derrick Henry and the Titans in, in the passing game that might be completely enough for the Washington Commanders. But on the other side, I think what the market is basically saying that even if the Commanders have looked bad, they still have some potential to score here and getting a field goal at home with the commies is our buy point. That's that's how I would inter- interpretate the early market movement. Another game hovering right around the field goal, the Dolphins and the Jets. We've also seen this line on and off the three over the course of the week. The Dolphins were laying three earlier, bounced up to minus three and a half. Now kind of splitting the difference, settling in the range of Dolphins minus three, minus 120. And this game featuring some newish quarterbacks for both teams, at least in the scope of this season, Teddy Bridgewater against Zach Wilson. And Sumo, what do you make instead of Tua versus Flacco, like we would have seen to start the season, the shift to Bridgewater versus Wilson this Sunday and Dolphins Jets? I think it is not a major downgrade going from Tua to Bridgewater when, when Mike McDaniel has 10 days to prepare for the Robert Sala defense. I don't think this is a big of as big of a downgrade, and I also think that the the current market reflects that. I don't think we would be looking or we would be staring at four and a half, five, five and a half ish numbers if Tua was playing. I I, I don't believe so. Um, so I think Bridgewater probably was not warranting as much of a downgrade. There was a release earlier today on the Jets at plus three and a half. Then the market bounced like 10 or 15 cents towards the Jets. And then there was immediate buyback. And that tells me that also with the, let's say, position forming of a um, of early, early, early week Dolphins money. And then the, the immediate buyback today, I think there is strong uh, support for the Dolphins in this one. And Injury-wise, we had Zach Wilson being limited today. He was not out um, at the early portion for the for the media. Uh, Robert Sala said he was dealing with an ankle injury. That's something something to monitor, but it didn't really sound like that's going to be important or that he could possibly be out this game. I think he's going to play. But every time a quarterback that relies on his legs and also trying to get out of the pocket when when, when pressure 
or blitzes arrive and that guy is dealing with some sort of a ankle of an ankle injury i think that's at least worth monitoring throughout the week um the dolphins we don't know whether xavier howard is going to play but even if he is not i just don't think that we will see major jets money later this week um, these early mar- uh, early week movement tell me that there's a strong support for the Dolphins, and I think we need to get some catastrophic injury report for the Dolphins in order for the uh, market to move entirely towards a flat three f- for the for the Jets again. The Jets second game for Zach Wilson offensive line is not looking great, so really don't think what to make of that offense right now um, and. Yeah, the Dolphins are clearly the superior team and the market has been telling us so. I don't think a viewer or listener needs to do too much reading between the lines to take away what to make of the side in this one based on that context. But Suma, macro level, aside from the handicap of this game, I would like to ask you about the value of going on or off of the three when people are looking to bet point spreads. In recent years, I've heard a lot of people I respect put it somewhere in the ballpark of 18 cents when we're talking about, uh, you know, getting on or off of that key number of three in the current scoring environment. I know this year has been kind of weird with totals. Has that done anything to shape the way that you look at games hovering right around again, that key number of three, what's it worth to get on or off of it? Yeah. So when we are dealing with low totals, we are usually expecting more games to land around the three because we have less variance uh, in the game. Um, versus a, 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 let's say, high-scoring game. So the three becomes a little bit more important when we are dealing with with low totals and where we are really expecting um, scores in the, I don't know, 23, 20 range um, and all those sorts of results. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me. 18 cents sounds like uh, the wide range. You can also check the odds comparison tool at unabated.com. It's uh, really, really useful. But also you can see when you go to uh, to some sports books and you you do the the drop down menu, Mm -hmm. the sports books are basically telling you what they are charging for each half point of of the three. And for example, I saw it at uh, betonline slash lowvic today, and they were charging, I think, 25 cents on one game today. So I think it was the uh, Colts-Broncos game. So basically saying it's a a low total, and coming off the three, we are going to charge you uh, from plus 105 to minus 120. Um, Yeah. That would be my take on that. Uh, like I said, unabated.com is a very, uh, very cool tool. And um, just using some drop-down menus at sportsbook, you, your sportsbooks, you could pretty much get a decent range of what these sportsbooks are charging as an average. And then you can reduce a few cents and then you have the, the ballpark to, as to where the um, correct pricing should be. Yeah, I want to underscore that point of reducing a few cents from the cost when a sports book is giving you that option on a drop down menu. Because, of course, if they're charging 25 cents, it's not because it's worth 25 cents. It's probably because it's worth 20 cents or perhaps a touch less. Kind of like that cash out option. A lot of betters like to take it for security to lock in a profit. But generally, if a book is giving you an option to play your bet different than the standard odds or, or odds that you had previously locked in, They're giving you that option because there's a way to work the calculation 
in a way that tilts the scales in their favor. So just something to be mindful of as betters are considering it. Usually, you know, anywhere right around 20 cents is a, is a nice round number. I, I wouldn't advise anybody paying the 25 cents in most scenarios to get on or off of that three. Moving on to the late window on Sunday, a game that's not hovering around that key number of three, the Cowboys and the Rams. We've seen some movement on the side and the total in this one so far this week. As far as the side goes, we saw the Rams open up laying six. That got bet down as low as four and a half before we saw some buyback on the Rams, bringing this number back up to five or five and a half. The total has been suppressed and hasn't seen a lot of buyback yet. 45 and a half down to the range of 43. Suma, beyond the Rams' putrid offensive showing on Monday night in San Francisco, what else to you has driven the total off of the relatively key number of six and the total down two and a half points? So this game was open on Tuesday morning at a few sports books that had forty-five and a half and some forty-sixes, and then really early on Tuesday morning, like um, I would say eight a.m. on the East Coast time, um, there was a pretty big market move like everywhere the under got crushed towards 44 and now we are looking at 43 43 and a half and i i i would say that this is simply because this opening total was too high and because it was a monday night football game for the rams some books didn't have it open and then we had to see this line moving on a tuesday morning instead of a monday morning and when you consider that the rams and the niners closed around 42 and when we want to compare lines, spreads, or totals across different games, we always have to think what was the information available at, at the time of kickoff, at the time of the, of, of the closing number. And the Niners and the Rams closed 42. And going into that game, I think the, pretty, uh, the, the market pretty much would have had the Niners as a great defense and a better offense than the Cowboys with Cooper Rush right now. The, the Cowboys also have a great defense, but their offense with Cooper Rush, eh, so-so. So this game opening at 46 or 45 didn't really make a lot of sense from a market perspective. And the early um, early market movers uh, drastically uh, told us that this had to be adjusted. And now we are looking at 43, which was, a, which was probably the, the biggest move on the screen that I can, that I can remember this week. Got it. Some good context on both the side and the total when the Cowboys take on the Rams in that late window on Sunday. And now let's hop into primetime Sunday night football, the Bengals at the Ravens. The side in this one, kind of a recurring theme of this show, another parallel to that Dolphins-Jets game we talked about earlier, a spread going on and off of the three. We've seen the Ravens anywhere from minus three to minus three and a half, currently settling in at about minus three, minus 115 for the Ravens. And I'll get your take on this one, Suma. But first, Jacob, I want to toss it to you. You were at the Bengals-Dolphins game last Thursday night. What were your thoughts on this year's Cincinnati team, having just seen them in person? Uh, for Cincinnati, it's very clear to me that they want to establish some sort of run game. And it's even more clear to me that it does. that's not really going to happen. They tried to run the ball a lot in that game against the Dolphins, and they did so very ineffectively. Lots of red zone plays where they just tried to punch it up the middle with Mixon, and it just didn't seem to really be working. With that being said, it's putting a big burden on Joe Burrow to throw the ball a lot. 
uh, in that game specifically. Uh, I mean, the Bengals did put up 27 points. I felt like there were a few key throws that Joe Burrow missed on that he probably should have hit. But, you know, can we put that a little bit on the amount he has to throw the ball? I think so. Can we put that a little bit on him having to be a bit better? That as well. But I think the biggest thing is the run game just isn't there, and it's not where they need it to be right now trying to go back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, it feels like those two Super Bowl teams last year, it's crazy that those were the two conference champions because I feel like Zach Taylor and Sean McVay have so much at their disposal, and especially McVay can scheme up really great play designs. And yet for the Bengals and the Rams, early down runs up the middle for one or two yards just seemed to be the top play in the playbook. I don't understand it, but here we are. Same story this year. Sumo, what do you make of all that? Um, I have watched a video from JT O'Sullivan on the um, Bengals offense against against the Dolphins, and it was basically a, a one-hour video, and he analyzed every single play that the Bengals have run. And the interesting part is that Joe Mixon called the offensive line for an extra meeting this week to work on the on the efficiency of the run game because it's not been working. And then on the video, we saw that Sometimes, so like every team uses some sort of motion, but what motion exactly is a completely different story. Like one team, uh, a few offenses are really smart with using motion. Like they are trying to, to, to shift the front seven away from the one side and really trying to create some space. Or they are using like a fly motion where the receiver is immediately attached in line and acts as, a, as an extra blocker that gives you an, an advantage in the run game like the like the um, uh, Packers do it very often. And then there are some teams that just do motion for the sake of doing motion. And that's what the Bengals are also doing. Like very often they use a motion um, and then the receiver has to be like an extra blocker. But by doing that, they always draw another defender into the box and they just turn a, let's say, five on five or six on six into a seven or seven. And there was like one play where they did the same. They motioned their guy in to um, block, I think, the, the defensive end or something. And that drew, drew a, a safety into the box. And this safety that got drawn into the box made a tackle for a loss. <laughs> just because they drew that guy into the box. So really crazy stuff. And um, yeah, going back going back to that Sunday night football game, uh, I think there's some respect for the Ravens in the market, even though the Bengals are coming off 10 days of rest. Um, the Ravens have looked really good. And I think it's worth a discussion of how good the Bengals have looked when you um, break it down or the towards their towards the competition that they have faced, and injury wise, we have Rashad Bateman and Ronnie Stanley for the Ravens, who are I think uh, two of the in- impact players. And the Bengals uh, injury report is pretty clean, and we are still looking at a three that is juiced towards the Ravens. So it will be interesting to see where that ultimately goes. I think we will see like a bounce between three and three and a half. And then the injury report for the Ravens, um, especially Ronnie Stanley, who would be lined up against the Bengals' best pass rusher. And Trey Hendrickson would certainly play a role in dictating where the market will move. 
That's the one and only Fabian Summer. Love that story about the Bengals motion, drawing a safety into the box to make a tackle for loss. We don't get that kind of insight often across the rest of the sports media, sports betting media landscape. So Suma, I want to make sure to let people know they can follow you on Twitter at Suma810. That's S-U-U-M-A-810. You can also catch Suma's work on primetime Sunday night football pregame and halftime live streams with Rob Pizzola as well as a Monday article every week on the hammer.bet rehashing the week that was across the NFL. You can follow me on Twitter at mlandis18, that's m l a n d e s 18, and you can catch Jacob and I right back here on Friday to break down our prop betting best bets for week 5 in the NFL. Everybody, thanks for tuning in on YouTube and in podcast form, and we'll catch you again on Friday. Props in-